You're listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church Van Alstine. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Now here's Pastor Mike. Uh, Titus chapter 1, if you have your Bibles this morning. Titus chapter 1. I brought along some things I wanted to use in this morning's message. One of them is uh, this sword that I borrowed from my friend Griff, who is our resident historian. He tells me that this is a pre-Civil War naval sword. Uh, I want you to get a mental image this morning, uh, and this sword is one of the things that I want to use to accomplish that. Um, in the book of Titus, you, what you have here is a pastoral epistle from the Apostle Paul uh, to this guy named Titus. And uh, in Titus chapter 1 particularly, he is giving Titus uh, the qualifications for church leadership, uh, referred to here as elders. Uh, that's not a term that we as a church use a lot, but we do in fact have elders. Um, in the truest sense of the word, okay? And so I uh, don't think that this does not apply to us in any way. It certainly does. And uh, one of the things that I want to remind you of, if you're at all familiar with Scripture, then you know that uh, the sword is a picture of the Word of God. Uh, if you've read any of the book of Ephesians, and especially chapter 6 there, you know that the Apostle Paul uh, talks in writing to the Ephesians about the armor of God. He talks about putting on the full armor of God to do a spiritual warfare. He talks about the helmet of salvation and the, the breastplate of righteousness and having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and having the shield of faith. And then he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 talks about the word of God being like a two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He says it's, it's alive and it's active. It's powerful. That's the word of God. And so kind of with that picture in mind, I want us to look at Titus chapter 1 verse number 9. And so right here in this listing of the qualifications of elders, uh, some things that you undoubtedly are familiar with. He says this in verse number nine, he must, and then it says this, hold firm, hold firm. That's the title of a new series of messages that we're starting this morning, hold firm, getting a grip on the confession of our faith. And this morning's message particularly is entitled, get a grip. You ever said that to somebody? And you need to get a grip. <laughs> Maybe someone has said that to you. Well, this morning we need to get a grip. Okay, we need to get a grip, as he says here in verse number 9, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, so uh, we have this image then of holding firm to something, uh, this trustworthy word that is taught. It's a great picture, a great, uh, a great image for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, in this series, what we're going to do uh, is we're going to be looking at the 18 articles of what we call the Baptist faith and message. Now, you may not have even heard that terminology. Uh, if you've not been a part of uh, Southern Baptist life particularly, that may be new to you, Okay. And so what I want to do is, is briefly give you a little history of the Baptist faith and message. Now, there have been confessions of faith. There have been doctrinal statements for centuries, okay, going back to, uh, to, to the earliest days of the church particularly. And, and, and those were all kind of in many ways built upon one another. Uh, and, and, of course, you may, you've probably heard some churches that give reference to the Apostles' Creed. 
In fact, some churches, that is, in fact, their doctrinal statement, essentially. They use the Apostles' Creed. The Village Church, I know, just recently taught through uh, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and so, uh, but I want you to understand really the, the, uh, the history of this document that we call the Baptist Faith and Message. Now, when I say that I'm going to kind of preach through this, I'm not going to preach this. We're not going to set the Bible aside while I preach through this, okay? I- I'm hopefully going to help you understand that the foundation for this is found in the very Word of God. So we're going to be preaching the Bible as we kind of unpack what we know as the Baptist faith and message. Now, let me tell you a couple of things kind of by way of introduction as well. My goal in this series of messages is not to, quote, make you a Baptist, okay? If for whatever reason you're here this morning and you're like, I'm so not that, that's not how I grew up, that's not how I would identify myself. In all honesty, that's not the first word that I choose when I identify myself, okay? I don't right away go, yeah, I'm, I'm Baptist. I got a big B on my underwear. You know, I, I, don't, I don't do that, okay? I, that's not, that's not who I am. I, I would first describe myself as a biblical follower of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, but at the same time, I'm not ashamed to tell you this morning that I'm a Baptist, okay? Uh, but my goal is not to, quote, make you a Baptist, all right? Uh, my goal is also not to fuel the fires of some sort of theological arrogance that would lead you to say to your friends and neighbors and relatives, I'm right, you're wrong, deal with it, okay? That's not the thought behind this. That's not what we're doing. We're not suggesting that, hey, we Baptists are the, you know, we're the ones that have it all figured out. Nobody else does. We're, you know, on a whole. Di- That's not the point. Okay. My goal uh, is to bring clarity and resolve. My goal as a pastor is to demonstrate a pastoral determination to do exactly what Paul wrote to Titus here: to hold firm the trustworthy word as taught, as taught. So then with that, a little history of what we call the Baptist faith and message. The Southern Baptist Convention first adopted a comprehensive statement of faith, now known as the Baptist faith and message, in 1925, when E.Y. Mullins, okay, if you know any Baptist history, then you certainly know that name, E.Y. Mullins, uh, led a committee that presented what really was the first Baptist faith and message to the convention. Uh, And you've got to know that really as you go back and you study church history, all of the various confessions of faith, doctrinal statements, whatever you want to call them, um, were really born out of of a season of controversy. Uh, Much like the, the state of affairs in the world in which we live today. A lot of questions, a lot of controversy over the authenticity of Scripture, the reliability of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, and and a lot of those kind of things. And so uh, this wasn't just some guy one day who sat down and said, you know, I just need to write out what I believe. It it wasn't like that. Okay? And so uh, then controversy uh, over the nature and authority of Scripture uh, led to the 1963 revision of the Baptist faith and message. Uh, and that was with a, a gentleman named Herschel Hobbs who led that revision committee, another name that you uh, would recognize if you know Baptist history particularly. The Baptist faith and message was then uh, next revised in 1998. So that 1963 document uh, served uh, Baptists for a very long time. In 1998, however, in Salt Lake City, Utah, there was an 18th article that was added to the Baptist faith and message. And it was, uh, and Article 18 is called The Family. And the reason that it was added, adopted, uh, was because of widespread concern about the breakdown of the family. 
All right? And it, there was some controversy related to that particular article, but it was adopted by our Southern Baptist Convention at that time. Then in 1999, the very next year, a motion was adopted calling for a complete review of the Baptist faith and message. This motion included a call for a, what they called a blue ribbon committee to be put together uh, to review, do an overall review of the Baptist faith and message. And so the latest version uh, of the Baptist faith and message that we have was adopted in the year 2000. That's what this is called, the Baptist faith and message 2000, when a committee uh, led by, and here's a name you'll probably recognize, Adrian Rogers. Uh, Adrian Rogers, the late Adrian Rogers now. A great preacher of the faith, served for many years at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He led the committee that brought its report, its recommendations to the convention in Orlando, Florida. And that was, again, the year 2000. I want to read something from uh, the front of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 as it was presented to the convention that year. Uh, Because this speaks to the importance of a document like this, okay? It says, Baptists are a people of deep beliefs and cherished doctrines. Throughout our history, we have been a confessional people, adopting statements of faith as a witness to our beliefs and a pledge of our faithfulness to the doctrines revealed in Holy Scripture. Did you notice that last phrase? Revealed in Holy Scripture. Okay, so this does in, in no way takes precedent over this. Okay, we know that. Okay, it's born out of this. It submits to Scripture. Uh, Very, very important to keep that in mind as we move through this series of messages. He goes on to say, Our confessions of faith are rooted in historical precedent, as the church in every age has been called upon to define and defend its beliefs. Each generation of Christians bears the responsibility of guarding the treasury of truth that has been entrusted to us. Then he says, Facing a new century, of course this was in the year 2000, Southern Baptists must meet the demands and duties of the present hour. And then he goes back into the history of some of these other uh, Baptist faith and messages that I've already referenced. Now, with all that in mind, by now some of you are probably sitting there wondering, thinking to yourself, why can't we just say we believe the Bible? Why can't we say that? I mean, some of the things, wouldn't it just be much simpler if we just erased all these denominational lines and, and all this kind of stuff? If we just, if we just quit, you know, putting ourselves in, in this corner or that corner and this, you know, and why, why can't we just say we believe the Bible? I mean, I looked at no less than a couple of dozen church websites this past week in preparation for this morning's message, and I found in, in, in all two dozen or so of the ones that I looked at, they all had on their website a link or something that led you to what they would call their beliefs. Most of them had a tab or something that said what we believe, our beliefs, something like that. And of all of the churches that I looked at, there wasn't one of them that I clicked on the link and it just simply said, we believe the Bible. But again, some would say, wouldn't that just make things so much easier? And maybe for some of you, that's kind of what you say. I mean, you're just like, you know, hey, I, I just believe the Bible. Okay, let, 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 me, let, let me explain to you this morning why, even though that's a great statement, okay, and I certainly hope that you believe the Bible. You affirm the, the, the authority of Scripture, all right? We say here that we are biblically based, okay, which means every ministry, everything that we do, we want it to be based upon the authority of Scripture. Scripture has the final authority in all matters of faith and practice for us. So it's not, hey, what does Brother Mike say? What do our deacons say? What, are, it's, what does the Word of God say? Biblically based, we're Christ-centered. Because we believe that Christ is the central figure of Scripture. 
Okay, everything from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, you find this ribbon of redemption that runs throughout Scripture, and Jesus Christ, God come in the flesh to lay down his life in the form of substitutionary atonement for us. All right, so Christ is the central figure of Scripture. So we're biblically based, Christ-centered, and gospel-driven. Because Christ came, because he laid down his life for us, we have the best news known to man. That should stir us to go share that with a lost and dying world. All right, so it it is our very foundation. But why can we not just say we believe the Bible? Let me show you a couple of images that hopefully will explain to you why we can't just say we believe the Bible. Check out this one. The KKK would say we believe the Bible. In fact, if you paid attention to the news during this most recent event up in Charlottesville, then you know some of the people in this organization were trying to to state their case by using the Bible. The reason that we believe what we believe, the reason that we do what we do is because this is what we believe the Bible says. They, They will say, we believe the Bible. How about this image? Recognize that guy? That's a guy named David Koresh. Remember him? David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, there are other pictures, you can Google it, and you'll see David Koresh standing in front of his followers with an open Bible in his hand, preaching and teaching, and if you just looked at a picture of the two of us, you would think that he's doing the exact same thing I'm doing this morning. And he and his followers would say, or would have said, we believe the Bible. That's what they would have said. We could go on. There are other names that come up, come to mind immediately. How about Jim Jones and his followers? Remember who went down to Guyana and, uh, and, and drank the Kool-Aid, right? Remember that? Jim Jones would have said, I, we believe the Bible. <laughs> I mean, I mean you, you, today, groups that we would consider um, cults or sects or you, you got, the Mormon church would say, we, we believe the Bible. Now, you also have to have this other testament of Jesus Christ that goes along with it, but we believe the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you, we believe the Bible. We don't believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ, but we we believe the Bible. You see where I'm coming from this morning? That's why it makes it difficult for us to simply say, we believe the Bible. As true as that may be, we have to, 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 again, further clarify what it is that we believe when we say we believe the Bible. Let me give you... Uh, what may be kind of a crude illustration, and all, all illustrations break down at some point, okay? So don't, don't send me any emails this week over this, but I, I am known to occasionally go to a place called Brahms. Amen. Some of you are spiritual. Um, I, I like to go to Brahms, and, uh, I, and I, I, I usually turn right when I go in our local Brahms over to the little grocery store section, and you will find me, uh, not looking straight ahead at things that are on the shelves, but you will find me bent slightly at the waist, looking down into um, these big chest freezers filled with ice cream. Amen? Yeah, this is getting real, isn't it? Yeah, and so there are various varieties of ice cream. I mean, I, I can walk up and down these aisles, looking down into these freezers at all the different varieties and kinds of ice creams. And, and, and I don't know about you, but when I'm going to pick out ice cream, I'm, I'm 99% of the time, I'm going to pick something that at least has chocolate in it. All right? Now, I'm talking your language, aren't I? Yeah, okay. It's got chocolate in it, okay? I, and, and beyond that, I sometimes I like some peanut butter in, in my ice cream. I'm a Reese's peanut butter cup kind of guy, okay? And so that, that's kind of what, what I'm going after first, generally. 
And the great thing about Brahms is they occasionally do this thing where you can get two cartons of ice cream for six bucks. Man, that is so awesome. And I was like, so I got to, you know. But then if you pay attention, you can look down through there and you will notice some of this stuff isn't even ice cream. It's frozen yogurt. Now, I'll be honest, I like some frozen yogurt, okay? I eat that pretty often. But some of it's not ice cream. Now, as I, as I was doing this not long ago, I was thinking, honestly, about this series of messages, because I've been, I've been working on this for, for a few months now. And I was thinking, you know, that's kind of how it is when you look at the landscape of churches and groups and denominations and tribes and all these different... You've got to understand that there are as many different kinds of Baptists as there are flavors of ice cream at Brahms. All right? And so you're looking and you're like, some of these are a little nuttier than others. You know what I'm saying? All right? Some would be like, okay, we're cousins, but you're, that, you're kind of that weird cousin. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, okay. But then, again, you look through there and you're like, some of this is not even ice cream. Okay? And that's the way it is, is we look at the landscape of churches all across the, the world, really. And I'm often asked the question, why are there so many different groups? Why are there so many different beliefs? Why are there so many different, why are there, you know, all these different things? Fact is, we're not all the same. There are some churches that call themselves Baptists that I would run from. I think of Westboro Baptist Church. Westboro, I mean, Baptist Church. They're crazy, people are crazy. Their leadership's crazy. I mean, they've lost their minds. They're the ones who protest at like the funerals of our soldiers, and they hold up these huge signs that says "God hates fags." And I mean, what? Like, I, I don't identify with that, you know. And so we kind of have that same thing as it relates to church. I mean, th- th- there are a lot of different um, what we would consider orthodox churches. They hold to a biblical view of salvation. They would say they believe in the authority of Scripture and all those things, but we may differ in some other areas. And so we recognize that there are some key doctrinal issues that to us are not negotiable. Okay? We believe that the Bible doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Okay? And we're going to talk about that some more in this series of messages. Okay? We believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. In other words, we believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh. Okay, Jesus is God in the flesh, or as as one kid said, Jesus is God with clothes on. Okay, so that's something that we would say that's not negotiable for us. Okay, there's no wiggle room on those issues for us. Now, there's some other issues where there may be. You take the subject of eschatology, for example, the study of end times and the timing of Christ's return, and, and some of those things. We may differ on some of those things. Okay, you got some who believe in what's called a mid-trib rapture, and some who believe in post-trib. You know, you got all these different. Okay, those are things that we may have, you know, some disagreement on. You can be wrong; it's okay. Um, but <laughs> you see, I mean, there, there are some areas where we we may not find complete agreement on those things, but that's okay. We're not going to break fellowship over it. Okay, we're not going to, you know. And so we we got to come to an understanding of what these things are. What what? How important is this to us? The Apostle Paul made the seriousness of this issue crystal clear when he wrote to the Galatians. And so if you have your Bibles, you might want to flip back a few pages to Galatians chapter 1. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 8, he says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary 
to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's pretty serious, isn't it? It, that, That word is the word anathema. Accursed. It means accursed. It means damned. Okay, so it's very serious. All right? This is important stuff that the Apostle Paul is writing here. And so when he writes to Timothy, and he says here in chapter 1, he must, your church leaders, your pastors, they must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Hold firm to it. I mean, if if I'm going into a battle with a sword, then I want to have a firm grip on it. I want to have a hold of it. Get a, get a, a firm grip on this thing. Hold to it. The trustworthy word as taught so that then he can instruct others and also uh, rebuke those who contradict it. There are three things that I want us to pull from the Titus text here this morning that I think are important as a foundation for this series of messages. What Paul is telling Titus here is, number one, be careful what you pick up. Be careful what you lay hold of. Be careful what you pick up. If if you're going to put a firm grip on something, if you're going to hold firm to something, you you better make certain that you know what you got a hold of. Now, here's the problem. It's very easy for us to pick up some other stuff. That's why he says, hold firm, and he makes it clear what it is he's to hold firm to, to the trustworthy word as taught. Let me give you some, an, an idea of some of the things in another mental picture. This is a, a, a vintage, uh, miniature Louisville Slugger baseball bat. This was my dad's when he was a kid, so it's probably circa 1945-ish or something like that. And so I, I cherish this thing. This is going to serve as, as a, a mental picture uh, of, of the other things that we might pick up. Because I don't know about you, if I'm going into battle, I, I want to have this sword in my hand and not some little thing like this, Right? Okay, here are some things that you can be tempted to or easily pick up instead of the word, the trustworthy word as taught. First one is this, the latest fad teaching. New stuff being introduced all the time. And most of the time, you know where they end up? On Oprah. If if you're a big Oprah fan, go ahead and send me the emails this week, but we're going to agree to disagree, okay? Because while she may be a nice friend, and she doesn't have an active show right now, I don't guess. But anyway, that's that's where a lot of this stuff shows up. These people, they write this book. They've got some, you know, brand new spiritual insight into the spiritual world and all these sort of things. They have all this new fad-type teaching that, that in most cases says that really the strength that you need is found within yourself, you look within yourself for, I mean, it's all very me-based, center-based, where Scripture says that my heart, your heart, is desperately wicked, in need of redemption. Okay? And so there, there's a lot of different fad teachings going on. Okay? And a lot of people are tempted. They're quick to pick up and, and hold firm to the latest fad teaching that's come down the pike. They're going to go spend money on so-and-so's book and subscribe to their program or that program and this little thing. Hey, it, this is not a new thing. All right? The Apostle Paul also talked about this when he wrote uh, to the Ephesians. Uh, listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then listen to this, verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. He goes on to write there, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Why is it that we're to mature in our faith? Why are church leaders challenged to teach and to proclaim the trustworthy word as taught, so that we can mature in our faith and not, like children, be blown around with every wind and wave of doctrine that comes along. Oh, there's something new. Oh, got to go after that. Oh, got a hold of that. Something else. Oh, something new. You know, hey, a red flag. If somebody gets up in any kind of a, a mode where they're going to proclaim truth for you and they're saying they've just discovered some new truth that nobody else has ever discovered, that's a big red flag right there. All right? So, new, new fad, latest fad teaching. Here's another one. The traditions of man. The traditions of man. And Paul addressed this. Uh, again, when he wrote in, in to the Galatians, um, he said uh, in chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then this is when he said, I read it earlier, but if we, even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a, a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you receive, let him be accursed. All right? And so he's, he's saying there, hey, don't, don't follow after the traditions of man. Now, tradition's not bad. All right, I, I, th- there are some traditions that I love. Uh, we we one we kind of did yesterday at our house. Yesterday was Addie's seventh birthday, and and we kind of have this thing where on the morning of someone's birthday we'll get up and have cinnamon rolls together. All right, we had cinnamon rolls. That's a, that's a good tradition, isn't it? Yeah. Some of you have great traditions associated with your your Thanksgiving meal. All right, maybe you all gather at grandma's house and grandma or Aunt Susie or whoever does the turkey and somebody else does the dressing. And you've got traditions that you, that you participate in as a family. Maybe the way that you do Christmas, you do it in a very traditional sort of way, kind of the same every year, the way that you, you know, go and do and all those sorts of things. Even within the church, there are some things that, that we do, that we, that, that, that we do regularly, we do it, we would consider it traditional, all right? Nothing wrong with that. But here's something you need to understand. Tradition, and I wish I could give credit to someone for this quote. I've used it many times, not knowing who actually said it. But tradition is the living faith of dead men. All right, so some of the names that I mentioned earlier, E.Y. Mullins, Herschel Hobbes, some of those people, all right, who, who came before us. They were faithful to hold firm the trustworthy word as taught and, and to, to make sure that it was clear it was understandable, okay? And then there were people certainly who even preceded them. I mean, my goodness, we're, we're, we're fast approaching the 500th anniversary of, of what's called the Reformation. Uh, when, when, when Martin Luther, he, he hung his 95 theses on the door of the, the castle at Wittenberg there, and, and he said, hey, it's, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, right? Uh, and so, so th- that's, the, that's the living faith of dead men, okay? That's tradition. But traditionalism which is a bad thing, is the dead faith of living men. Tradition 
is the living faith of dead men. Traditionalism is the dead faith of living men. If, if you are given to, to, to traditionalism and you're holding firm to the traditions of men, you know the kind of things that you will find yourself saying a lot? You'll say stuff like, we've never done it that way before. And there are some things that you're holding on to as if they, they are Bible, Bible, but they're not. But they're not. Okay, so you've got to be very careful that you can distinguish when you talk about tradition, what it is that you're really talking about, all right? The traditions of man. Here's the third thing that we can easily be tempted to pick up in place of the, the, the trustworthy word as taught, political platforms. Now, I've got some strong political opinions, some firmly held beliefs as it relates to, to the political landscape, Okay. I often find myself disgusted by the state of affairs in this nation. I often find myself just bewildered. There's a lot of waves of emotions that I experience as a citizen of the good old United States of America. One of the things that concerns me right now as a pastor, though, is a lot of people are picking up that political platform and equating that with their Christian walk. And thinking if they hold to a particular political ideology, then that equals Christianity. Hey, newsflash, Jesus was not a Republican, nor was he a Democrat, okay? Now, I realize that, that your, your political views and the way in which you vote and all of those sort of things should certainly be informed and should be run through the Scripture. Okay, I hope that when you go to the poll, that, that you take your biblical values with you. And, and, and so I'm not saying we, those things should all be completely separate, but, but we got to make sure that, hey, that we're not quick to just pick up political platforms and ideologies and be that, that, that'd be what we hold on to, cling to, hold firm to. Okay? Here's a fourth thing. Personal preferences. Personal preferences. I mentioned a moment ago that when I go pick out ice cream, I generally pick out something that's got chocolate in it. Now, some of you, well, some of you amen, the more spiritual ones here, amen. Others of you are like, oh, not me. Man, I want some butter pecan, or I want me some vanilla, right? Okay, that, that's a preference. Chocolate for me is a preference. It is. Okay, it, it's not a conviction. You know how you distinguish between those two things? Ask yourself this when you're trying to discern if something is a preference or a conviction. Ask yourself, would I be willing to die for that? Now, I love me some chocolate, but I ain't going to die for it, Okay. In fact, if vanilla is the only thing in our freezer at home, I've been known to eat a bowl of vanilla ice cream. I ain't dying for that. Okay, the problem within the church is that some people equate their preferences with what should be other people's convictions, and while they're not willing to die for it, they think some other people should die for it. Things like music, styles of music, what the pastor should wear when he preaches... I could name a lot of stuff this morning that falls under the category of preferences. Preferences. Okay? When it comes time for us to build a new church, Lord willing, I know some of you are going to prefer pews. And others of you are going to prefer padded chairs. Uh, some of you are going to you know, prefer this or that, or this color or that color, and all those kind of things. But those are preferences, right? But too many people today are quick to pick up their personal preferences, and that's what they're holding firm to. When Scripture clearly says here what we are to hold firm to is the trustworthy word as taught. Okay, now why is that? 
Well, he says here to Titus, be careful, make certain that you are holding firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to teach, may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Okay, now, again, Paul said essentially the same thing to, second, or to Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, rather. You may be familiar with this section of Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where he told Timothy, also a young protege in the faith, he said, you then, my child, meaning my child in the faith, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and, listen to this, what you have heard of me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay, that, that, that is how the faith is passed down from one generation to the next. That's how it happens. I have a two-volume set in my library called Vince Lombardi on Football. It prized. I won't get rid of it. Okay, Vince Lombardi, if you're not familiar with that name, uh, th- that's the guy after whom the, uh, the, the, the Super Bowl trophy is named, all right, the Lombardi Trophy. Vince Lombardi, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers for many years, arguably one of the greatest coaches to ever live. And in that two-volume set, Vince Lombardi on football, there is a section called the Power Sweep. I mean, it was something that, that his Green Bay Packer teams ran with precision, I mean, and, and he would tell you in post-game interviews, if we cannot effectively run the power sweep, we're probably going to get beat. All right, well, I'm going to tell you something. 2 Timothy chapter 2, those first few verses right there that I just read, that is Christianity's power sweep right there. If we don't do this effectively, we're going to get beat. If we're not taking the truth, the word of God, the trustworthy word is taught, and we're not passing it on from generation to generation to generation, you know what happens eventually? The church dies. And so if you're here this morning and you're currently teaching a second grade Sunday school class or a third grade Sunday school class or you're working in preschool or whatever, don't you dare think that what you do doesn't matter. It matters more than you can imagine. I got a first grade girl who just turned seven yesterday. And you know what I want? I want her to come home on Sundays after church and be telling me the Bible that she's learned while she was at church. I want her to come to understand that she's a sinner in need of a savior Okay, her mom and I are fully convinced of that. I'm not sure that she is just yet, but she, she, she's a sinner in need of a Savior. But there's a, there's a Savior who came to die in her place. I want her to come to know that and to understand that and embrace that gospel truth. All right? And so some of you are partnering with my wife and I to make sure that she knows that truth and it's passed down to her. And then my hope and prayer is that someday as she grows and matures that she'll be old enough and she'll be teaching people that very same truth. That's how it works. Be capable of teaching sound doctrine. And then he says here finally, be committed to refuting or rebuking false doctrine. I don't know about you, but when, when, I, when I eat something, I, I want to know, I want to be assured that it's, that it's at least reasonably pure, right? So if, if I'm going to bake a pan of brownies, okay, I, I'm not going to be content if there's just a, a little bit of dog poo put in the brownies. I'm not eating those. I don't care if you tell me all day long, but it's just, it was just a tiny, tiny little bit. No, that, that's, I'm, that's not good enough for me. I'm not eating those brownies. I'm sorry. I'm not. And, and we've got to make certain, as it relates to the truth of the Word of God and, and the things that we hold to, that we're going to hold firm to, that it's pure. And so one of my jobs as as pastor of this church is to watch for your souls 
and to always be on the lookout for wolves in sheep's clothing that would come in and would distort the truth and would be presenting something that's, that's not true to Scripture. And I'm going to say, wait, 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 time out. We, this, no, we're not doing this. That's what he's saying here to Titus. Titus, you've got to be quick. You've got to be committed to rebuking false doctrine. So does it matter what we believe? I mean, we're living in a day when a lot of people would say it doesn't. We're living in a day when a lot of people would say all roads lead to heaven. Is that true? I don't think so. No, because Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So, so as, as we launch into this new series, I want us to be firmly committed to holding firm to the word, the trustworthy word as taught. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church Van Alstine. FBCVA is located at 121 East Marshall Street in Van Alstine, Texas, or you can visit us online at www.fbcva.com. Be sure to visit the Sermon Archive for more messages from this and other series.